Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Josh, what's Pile World? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, man? It's funny being uh, more offline than you usually are. I came in this morning. It's and wise, you like, is what it is. Listen, we need to do news on Pile World, and I practically had the Metal Gear Solid question mark above <laughs> my head. I was like, huh? What? What's this thing? Johnny Sazaki over there, just uh, on the from the yes. periphery. But um, yeah, I'll, there'll be a video on the channel about all the things that's going on with Pile World, one of the biggest controversies in gaming, emerging as we speak. Uh, did a little news video on it just before, but yeah, that's going to be the conversation probably for the rest of the year or at least the next the rest of the month or something the absolute state of power world in this weird potentially AI generated Pokemon clone that's just made millions of dollars across the uh, the weekend I better figure out what the hell this thing is then <laughs> best go home after this podcast and do some research oh my god we should go because it's on Game Pass for free let's play a bit of power world mate lad I've got Baldur's Gate 3 to finish not I anymore you have power world no you can justify power I've been sacking off Prince of Persia playing a bit of power world oh, mate. Man, Prince of what power is world that's me what yeah. is this game? Speaking of games, uh, we started doing our completely subjective Games of the Year ranking from 2023, which allows for ridiculous takes. And we did, we did, we did 10, 9, 8, and 7 last week. We did. We got more to get through. I think you had an opening message, though. Yes, I do. I've got two opening messages. Yes. First, on the actual subject, um, I'm looking over the list that I wrote last week. And do you ever, like, look at something you've written and just think, was I on crack cocaine <laughs> when I did this? You know what I mean? Like, was I having a having a breakdown? Was I in, like, having a, a coma or something? Because I still stand by this list. Of uh -huh. course I do. But it's one of those where I think, in a year's time, am I going to look back and think, what was I thinking? Yeah, where's what the actual final line? But that's the beauty of... Shut up. <laughs> no. Um, Shut up. But that's the beauty of these lists, because like you said last week, these are entirely subjective, and I'm just kind of basing them off vibes as much as I am proper analysis. <laughs> but also, yeah, before I get into this, I also... The person I'm talking about probably won't even listen to this, but I had a lovely weekend um, down Manchester seeing a band called Spanish Love Song. Shout and I got talking in the gig to a lovely person called Alec, and I had a nice conversation with them. But there was mm -hmm. also someone else um, who came over, but I was washing my hands at the time, and <laughs> and I, I got a bit stressed because my hands were were, were dripping wet. You're like, and uh, I feel like I was more rude to them because I was a bit a little bit overwhelmed well, in, the, uh, in, in, in the toilets then. So uh -huh. I just want to say, sorry, it was also lovely to meet you, if you're even listening. You're probably you not. we're doing the old Peter Porker thing at the start of Spider-Verse, where you just come up with a watery hand yeah. and just go, it's fine, it's fine, just shake it, it's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> didn't want to be like that. I was like, no, no one wants to touch these hands right now. Um, yeah, I just wanted to 
throw that out there on the off chance someone's listening. But. Massive shout to anyone who's listening, to be honest, but we'll do the rest of our games of the year. We'll see how far we get through this. Maybe we'll get through the whole thing, in theory. Um, so we got, we're got counting down six through one. I do want to recap, though. Uh, my number 10 was Like a Dragon Guy, Dan, the man who erased his name. My number nine was Gravity Circuit, and my number eight was Theatre Rhythm Final Bar Line, with my number seven being Alan Wake 2. My uh, number 10 was Lies of P. My number nine was Amnesia the Bunker. My number eight was Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. And my number seven, where I left off, was Marvel's Spider-Man 2. Beautiful. My number six is Baldur's Gate 3. Is that right? Take it. Is it? Take it Baldur's and run with it, my Gate friend. comes later for me, but tell me why it's six. That's another one after Alan Wake that is way lower just, down than I expected from you. If we're doing the subjectivo, then I love my time with Baldur's. The thing is, we're splitting hairs for the next six games. These yeah. are all games that I absolutely adored. These are the ones that had uh, a smile plastered across my face the entire way through. Baldur's Gate 3, like I said, when I did the um, the actual like sites rundown, it was number one for the, the what culture game of the year thing. It clearly is the best game of 2023. Is it though? I would say so. But then I would also say something else. But I think for Boulders, it just is so incredibly impressive. Everyone who's touched it at this point will know exactly why. Just the sheer amount of permutations you can get to every single quest, every single decision that you make. Um, the thing that I absolutely loved about it was the way that it kind of came back around in Act 3. Um, I notoriously, as I covered in the spoiler cast with myself and Adam Strawn, largely missed Act 2. Um, because I thought it was a big dungeon and I was in the dark and I went and did some, I'm not going to do spoilers, but I went to like specific map markers. I did some big quests, had a nice little time, um, but I didn't flesh out the map. I didn't realize it was a whole map. I thought it was just a dark dungeon to get through. So I kind of went from act one and then did some stuff and then went to act three and spent like 40 hours in in each act kind of thing. And I kind of missed all the middle stuff. But my point is, I love that the game was able to course correct and still give me a phenomenal ending and uh, character arcs and everything else. So, um, I love my time with Baldur's Gate 3. I didn't realize I was missing all that stuff, like the last light in and everything, um, until way after. But it just is the reactions that the game has to you, the fact that it is so reactive, and it made me miss old-school Bioware RPG design. Um, and it just made me treasure the fact that it exists. I'm so happy that we live in a time where this game exists. Yeah, man, I fully back that. You know, I got to Baldur's Gate 3 very late. I've only been playing it over the course of this month. I've still not finished it, despite mm. being 80 hours in. And I think it's funny what you say about Act 2 there, because that's where it... It didn't click for me there, but that's where I realized it was going to get higher and higher on mm. my list, because I was just loving it more and more as Act 2 developed, and I started exploring that map, just mm-hmm. because um, the game itself took a little while for me to fully get to grips with because honestly it's 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 kind of not my thing on paper the reason I waited until January is that despite the great reviews I wasn't sure if I would like it because Mm. on the one hand it's a CRPG which I'm not against but I don't have much experience with I'm not too familiar Mm. with kind of how they work really I've played two in my entire life you know I've played the original Fallout Mm. and a bit of Fallout 2 and then Disco Elysium, which this is very different from. Mm-hmm. It's Dungeons and Dragons, which again, I know literally nothing about. Like, I don't even know the bare <laughs> basics Me neither, really. of that world. Uh, and it's obviously, you know, a tabletop game, so you've got all of these numbers and stats and stuff. He hates the dice. Uh, which, again, I'm not familiar with. So it was a sort of something I was coming into with a, with a little bit of hesitation, and yet it completely won me round mm. by the end. And even... In the first few hours, I kind of knew it was something special. It was just getting to grips with the turn-based combat. Mm. How how am I supposed to be treating the party system and leveling up? And um, what can I do? How is the world going to react to it? All of that jazz. And it was kind of like getting into Act 2. I was comfortable with everything by yeah. then. So 
I could just kind of go with it and indulge in it. And it mm. kind of makes me want to go back to act one and kind of do it fresh with yes. knowing how the game functions, if that makes sense. Totally. That was one of the things that I did with this was I uh, started, I think it's like an elf or something, and then realized I was way in over my head in regards to the lore and the various references that were being made to past wars that had happened and events and stuff. And I was like, I'm, I am I don't know this lore at all. Yeah. So I kind of just like thought like through the Bioware mindset where I was like, I'm going to restart and just play as a human and I can ask all the questions I need to ask as like, I can, I'll just, I'll just roll play as someone who has landed in this land um, and doesn't know anything about what's going on and I found that worked a lot better and lined mm. it up with like a Mass Effect 1 kind of feeling of like you're in this new um, you know place with all these different races and everything you can ask everything and um, we can talk more about Baldur's Gate 3 when we get to it because it'll be in your top 6 somewhere it will I assume um, so what's your number 6 please my number 6 is Star Wars Jedi Survivor what a beautiful game and it eventually you know what this was number 2 I think when we did the mid-year check-in which feels like a lifetime ago now by <laughs> By the way, um, and it's unfortunately been knocked down because there have been so many great games that came out in the second half of last year, mm-hmm. but Jedi Survivor still has a fond place in my heart because, yes, we've talked to death about it being broken, and I can't excuse that. It's just that I happen to have a, 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 a much better time with it than most people. The only time it really broke for me was when um, I jumped into water, and then the oh, frame, yeah. completely, frame, frame rate completely tanked, but otherwise it was it was stable, and I said it, I've said so many times that it's almost becoming a, a Josh Brown what culture gaming soundboard but Jedi Survivor to me is how to make a sequel you know right. this is coming ahead of Marvel Spider-Man 2 which I also loved similarly to you pretty much everything on this list is kind of splitting hairs to mm. certain degrees but this gets above Spider-Man 2 because of how much it innovates on the original this really feels like the next step for the franchise it's more confident it's more well-rounded it's more Polished in terms of the mechanics, certainly not in hey, terms of the, now. the tech. And yeah, it just it just leveled up everything I liked about the original, mm-hmm. which I thought was, you know, a really solid, surprising eight out of ten experience, and ratcheted it up to a to a nine out of ten experience. I couldn't believe how much I was engaged with the story, mm-hmm. the characters. It's amazing what a beard can do. You put it on <laughs> Cal Kestis and suddenly he's the coolest guy in the whole world. Uh-huh. And I love the customization you could uh, you, you were allowed over him as well to kind of personalize your Cal in a way that you couldn't in the original game. Mm. Lightsaber combat, silky smooth, cool next-gen visuals, um, a much broader scope than I was expecting, cool Metroidvania elements. Love this game, man. Really I... sold me on the franchise as a whole. Yeah, man. Well, that was my thing. Yeah, that's definitely the, the takeaway thing for me. I was like, you're one of the only people doing Star Wars well. Like, as an IP that is so just dead like just just dead like every now and then it twitches a bit and we all kind of look at it and go look it's moving again hey there's a mandalorian movie coming out is there like i mean whatever like I, for me like it's like the only bright sparks in the last few years have been andor and this like that's it and it's like but the reason but the way that they get it so right where they do have one foot in the kind of in the andorian approach like how uh, much of a how um you know intimidating the empire is but then they also have a lot of another foot in the prequel stuff where it's like the creature feature stuff and like funny accents and ridiculous stuff that's coming out of these different aliens and you just have fun with that as well I feel like there's a way to walk that line that the movies haven't figured out or the TV shows haven't really figured out either um, that Respawn nail in this yeah. and that's before you even get to how well it plays and how good the level design is and like you said it's like this really perfect 3D Metroidvania which like hardly anyone ever gets right Yeah. Um, in a way that like on the map screen like conveys like hey you might want to check this area out again but without telling you exactly what you're going to find there and it's always rewarding and it's like like you said they improve on everything from the original the customization and the writing of Cal made me miss uh, like gritty sequels. Yeah. It was such an era where it was like Prince of Persia Warrior Within and Jack 2 and even Mass Effect 2. 
um, there was a, a the kind of a return to that where like I thought it rounded his character out nicely where he had a bit more of an edge to him um, without it being like too like grimdark or whatever and like yeah I like enjoyed the majority of my time with this game it's just I was, as I rambled on loads across 2023 the negatives were very negative but the game now um, <laughs> it took eight official patches to do it, it did. and they had to put a statement out uh, saying they fundamentally rebuilt the engine to make the performance mode work is that right yeah and it's like but it does now work 4K60 or at least it's 60 frames a second with a I think it's an uncapped frame Beautiful, beautiful game. Like it just took. It was a weird release rollout for it. I Absolutely hope it doesn't affect the, the next one. To be honest, me too. I mean, they, you can't. They can't do this for a third time. They couldn't really do it for a second time <laughs> because you know Jedi Fallen Order was uh, notoriously buggy at launch as well. Mm -hmm. So just give it an extra six months if you need respawn because you've got something beautiful there, mm -hmm. and it sucks that rightly so. You know the conversations are always about uh, people getting you know a version of the game at launch that doesn't justify the price tag mm. because it's a shame if all those things were ironed out. I just, I think this would have been talked about way more than it was. I think the most impressive thing to me about it is that unlike Spider-Man 2, which again, I really love, it's on my list, mm -hmm. um, I thought it had such great precision at pinpointing what didn't work about the original and either omitting it entirely mm. or transforming those elements uh, to make them fun. You know, playing Fallen Order again just before this sequel came out, I was kind of taken aback at how many kind of mistakes and drawbacks were in that game, mm. especially surrounding the puzzles and exploration. And Jedi Survivor just cuts out all of that with surgical precision. It knows what was good about the original and knows what was bad about it. And it doubles down on the good stuff. And I've, I've not seen a sequel do that in a, in a long time. No, also like one of the things I loved about Fallen Order was the very end of it when you actually had all the powers so far. Yeah. And it was like, just like you have that final level, you're infiltrating like an underwater base and you're just flinging stormtroopers everywhere and having fun comboing stuff together. I always love when a sequel takes off from exactly where you left off. Um, and this thing gives you that sort of like power fantasy side of being a Jedi where it's like picking up a dude that has like a minigun and aiming him at everyone else so you yeah. can take everybody out um, and thinking uh, like thinking through encounters in a way that's almost like Doom where it's like well this guy has this buff and this guy does this um, I just I feel like they know what they've got um, and they like in a way that they didn't with Fallen Order I think they were still kind of figuring it out it was like Respawn's first third person game yeah man um, and it's uh, with this yeah like it's, it's a perfect sequel um, again it's a shame about the performance stuff but I think we should draw a line under that stuff like if you're picking the game up now you get a phenomenal version of it um, and it's by far the best version of it that's out there um, yeah, I uh, I don't know how long it's going to take them for a part three, but I love the feel of this when it clicks. And yes. nothing else really felt like this. Like it's like it's taken from a bit of Souls. It's taken from a bit of Devil May Cry. Like it's a really good midpoint. It really is. You know, like the the first game, um, perhaps controversially, kind of leaned a little bit too heavy into the sort of Soul style structure. Mm. You know, it was a bit more demanding. Uh, combat was a little less aggressive and you kind of had to be more patient, which kind of mm -hmm. did make sense for where Cal was in that journey. True. But yeah, I think they hit a nice midpoint here where there's still a lot of thought that needs to be put into the mm -hmm. combat and it rewards, you know, really thinking tactically, like you said, about the enemies you're facing and which powers, which lightsaber stances will um, benefit you. Mm. But it has that kind of fastness and fluidity to it and impact that, um, like you said, you know, is more evocative of something like Devil May Cry. And they just managed to find the sweet spot where you kind of, it is its own combat system now mm. in a way that the original arguably wasn't, but mm. it was still 
you know, good for it. Also, like, to just round it out, like, some of my favorite Star Wars moments were in this. Like, there's, um, not to do, like, necessarily plot spoilers, but in terms of an appearance, Darth Vader is in this. Yeah. And it's like, he's so played out. Like, and, and it's just, it's too, too much of an easy, too easy of a thing to keep leaning on in wider Star Wars major. Hey, by the way, he was, he was actually in the background of this scene yeah. and, like, whatever. But they actually use him well. Um, and I'm not going to say how, but I didn't expect what they did with him. And I think it's like, I haven't seen any other piece of Star Wars media in the modern age have that much confidence with a legacy character yeah. um, in the overall way that he's used. And I, I, they found a way to make him benefit, you know, everything else. Honestly, man, just their confidence in their characters generally. Like yeah. I said, you know, coming off the end of the first game, there were the, the characters that they introduced, um, original and some legacy characters, you know, I was, I was interested in, but mm. I wouldn't, you know, die for them. Whereas yeah. this time around, every character that returned, they just managed to make them that bit more interesting, that have that bit more depth, have um, more impact on the story overall. And it meant that characters that I wasn't too asked about initially, Mm. I suddenly found myself loving or hating them, depending on how they were utilizing the story, but intentionally so because of the quality of the writing and the quality of the performances. Mm -hmm. Plus the Mass Effect 2 thing of like being reintroduced to the squad. And it's like, that's like a fun energy. My number five is Street Fighter 6. A game that I don't think you played. I didn't, you know, there were- It's a perfect game, Josh. Here's the thing, you know, before I let you just wax lyrical about how great (laughs) this game was. There were so many from last year, like I said initially, that I just didn't play that I wanted Mm. to. And Street Fighter VI, among so many others, are ones that I knew would be on lists like this. And I kind of wish I had some... um context for, but please tell me why this game is your number five. Well, the thing is, like, it's. I think it's the best that Street Fighter's ever been. Like, the, a lot of people talk about Street Fighter. Obviously, people talk about Street Fighter 2. It was the big landmark release. I feel like Street Fighter is sometimes in the shadow of 2 quite a lot. 4 was a big um, return to form in the late 2000s, and then 5 was an absolute tire fire for a good couple of years before they put all the modes back in. And then it was like 6 needed to be what people expect when they think of Street Fighter. It's such a um, like a, a known term. Everyone's heard of Street Fighter. It's like, how you not delivering quality alongside that. Um, and six, I said this when we did the, I think it was the games of the year so far, or maybe it was just a general conversation last year, but it's such a like refined beast of a game. It's so perfect, like frame perfect game. Um, I love the learning curve. I love the the little things that are in here to help people get on board with Street Fighter. Like there's a lot of um, like assist modes and auto combo stuff and ways to help you get used to a fighter um, and get you in that mindset of, which I never cared about before, yeah. frame data. And I'm still not that guy yet, but I care more about it now than I ever did before. Before. And I think it's because it is kind of learning that sort of chess mentality thing that is at the heart of like fighting tournaments. And it got me watching more esports, fighting game esports that I ever have before, um, and really caring about like the um, the distance that a certain move will go. And like, just I, I think that technical side of it is that upper upper echelon of like Street Fighter play or fighting game play. And hardly any fighting games actually like encourage you to care. Yeah. Like Injustice 2 had uh, frame data stuff in it and Mortal Kombat does as well. But it's just overall, Street Fighter 6 is such a perfect package. Um, I like the single player mode. It's fun enough. It's kind of like a Tekken 4 style brawler thing. Um, more of just like a wider, like it is an open world, but it's quite a small world beat em up thing. Um, but the meat and potatoes, the actual fighting is just so effing fluid like it just goes I love the art style and the music and everything as well I know you weren't yeah. big on that but I think that's a big part of why I absolutely fell in love with it like I love the character designs um, and it's just you just feel so awesome playing it um, and obviously when you f- fight online standard fighting game online stuff you're gonna get pasted <laughs> but if you manage to overcome that and you come back with all these new mechanics like being able to tank hits and like run through someone's hit and then you then you get the win because you get the hit and it's like those little clutch moments are why fighting games are so tight and awesome and so my, one of my favorite 
favorite genres. Um, and this just is the best one. Like it was in a Ooh. year, you know, initially where like Tekken 8 was going to be out last year. I think yeah. it was going to be last year. Um, but obviously we had Mortal Kombat 1. I would say MK1 was a huge disappointment, especially towards the end of the story. Um, and it's only gone on to be like pretty insulting in regards to how much they've monetized it. 20 pound skins, 25 pound skins. Um, so fascinating. So fascinated to jump into that game. Finally. I just, I feel like I called it. Like I said, right. like MK is the only Warner Brothers property that has positive, um, you know, like a positive aura around it and they'll monetize the living F out of it. And that's exactly what they've done. Mm. Like um, the end of that game story without going into specifics or spoilers is fundamentally a, hey, remember the online live mode we've got? Do you want to go buy some skins? Do you want to go do some, do you want to get some loot components? Like right. it's horrible. And it's like, they have a whole endless, I just, I hate what they did with MK1. Mm. And it started so well and it's so good for like three quarters of that story. And then it just feels like the, the money men came in and just said, hey, can you just sort of pivot that into the endless mode and we'll just charge people for the rest of it? Wow. Bad. Um, but anyway, Street Fighter Six, especially next to that, is this resounding example of how to do a fighting game. Street Fighter Six does have its problems with overpriced skins as well, but there's so much to love. I don't necessarily, I don't have that, like, yeah, it's perfect. No, I think it's, you know, anything I think should be commended that gets people really into an entire genre. Baldur's Gate mm. 3 did that for me with mm. CRPGs and even Dungeons and Dragons, but anything that can turn you from... I'm not saying you were a casual fan by any means, but mm. say anything that can turn you from a more casual fighting fan and get you interested in that, like you said, yeah. upper echelon of the genre and have you thinking about and elements of the genre that you previously maybe overlooked or didn't want to engage with because they seemed so intimidating. Mm. I certainly have that issue with fighting games as a whole. Mm -hmm. I think that is a spectacular feat to put off if you can appeal to both like the, the mainstream casual fighting fans who just want to feel good and feel mm. powerful and watch some um, amazingly designed characters fight it out. And um, if you can appeal to them while also, you know, creating a more hardcore experience that um, people who will live and breathe the online modes mm. for can also cherish. I think that's, it's difficult. You don't see many fighting games pull that off. Even Street Fighter V had that issue you know, oh, yeah. when, that, when that released. And uh, yeah, the fact that they managed to do that in a complete package, like you said, even as someone who hasn't played it and is only looking from afar, like I think it's, it's it was so cool to see the response to it last year. Yeah, and it's like, uh, I went into 2023 and overall I'm a Mortal Kombat fan, it's my favorite fighting franchise, and then Tekken, and then Street Fighter or whatever. Um, and I came out of last year going, it's Street Fighter. Mm. Like it just, it, like, like next to each other, Street Fighter 6 is just infinitely better than Mortal Kombat, at least from my point of view. Your number five, please. My number five is a game that I'm not, I'm not gonna talk about too much okay. because I've <laughs> talked to you about it to death in podcasts last year. I even did a 15-minute editorial on it, which I, I was gonna would guess recommend it. you check out. Yes. But what do you think it is? Well, it can't be Wanted Dead. So I'm, I think it's Stay Out of the House. It is Stay Out of the House. Wait. My number five is Stay Out of the House, the puppet combo first-person horror game that I absolutely adored mm -hmm. um, and kind of defined my... Uh, the early period of 2023 mm. for me, this got me interested in a whole publisher and all of the games they had released because it's um, flavor of throwback PS1 style um, aesthetics. You know, everything is polygonal. Everything is, um, there's, there's like short draw distances, yeah. uh, which kind of fits because you're walking around or more aptly crawling around and uh, crouching around this dark house that you have no idea um, 
what it's full of. That's not a sentence, but you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> you have no idea what's around the next corner. You have no idea what that screeching is coming down the hallway. Mm. Um, and all of the limitations, uh, purposeful limitations of, you know, PS1 style games um, are implemented here in a purposeful way to mm. kind of etch up the horror and really extend it beyond, you know, its visuals, which are intentionally rudimentary, right? Some they people, rule. Yeah, I think they absolutely rule. It's just an aesthetic that I adore. Mm-hmm. Um, some people might not be able to get over that because it might just seem very dated to them, which is fair enough. But in terms of horror experiences, this is absolutely living alongside Amnesia the Bunker for me in terms of the most memorable. And they're actually very similar games, which I think I covered in the last podcast we mm-hmm. we did on it, um, in terms of your being chased around a, a more or less a single environment which with a bunch of different other interiors branching off from it by a persistent enemy. You have a revolver that you have to chamber each individual bullet for (laughs) uh, that you can use to either solve um, puzzles or to scare off the monster itself. And just that game of cat and mouse, I think both games nailed, but um, Stay Out the House, I think, has a slightly better story, a slightly more interesting aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, yeah, like I said, just has that extra element of intensity and scare scariness that I I very much appreciate. Yeah, man. Well, the thing is, I only played, it's like in, I think there's four parts to it or three. Yeah. Um, But you do, like, I remember downloading it and I did the first couple of parts of it. The thing that ended up making me not finish it was just how much progress I was losing trying to explore the house and getting caught, which was the same problem I had with Alien Isolation, but that's kind of just the genre to some degree. Um, And it definitely works for being uh, terrified of about, you're about to be found or something. But overall, like, I love this kind of, like, run of, like, throwback horror that we're getting. I love the idea that a a PS1 aesthetic is a specific choice and not a technical limitation. And yeah. it's like, in this, they have a bunch of like visual filters and things like that. You can turn them off and it looks really weird. It looks like an emulated old game or something, but you're better off leaving them on. Yeah. Um, and just trying to have this almost VCR style approach to um, the, the, the visuals and the aesthetic and everything. Yeah, that's, this was a game that I would never even know about if you hadn't played it. And it was like, um, I came to like love and really appreciate the overall feel of it. Um, and I, did, I haven't checked anything else the Puppet Combo have done, but I'd love to see more of it. I just want to see more of them take this and run with it. Yeah. And give me, just give me something where I'm not going to lose too much progress <laughs> getting caught. But I do, uh, yeah, man, it, it's like, especially the opening stuff, which is a weird thing to point out. I think we covered it on one of the podcasts last year uh, where you're playing as like a retail worker, you're in like a gas station and it's like, oh, is that is that a car following me in yeah. the car park and everything? And the way that thing plays out is it's a really cool, pretty unique horror scenario for it a is. game. No, it's, it, it's so different from the game to come as well. Like that mm. is the prologue and you might play it and expect more scripted walking simulator style horror where you're where you don't have much agency over the mm-hmm. gameplay itself and the scares will just happen on a on a, on a kind of scripted routine. And mm-hmm. um, but the actual meat and potatoes of the game isn't that, but it makes that opening more memorable because it is so different. Yeah, and it yeah. sets the tone and it establishes the story and gives you a fright in a way that you might not have experienced previously. I think it's a the intro especially is more of a slow burn. Yeah. Not to uh, drop her in it, but obviously I was recommending this to everyone last year, including your friend of mine, Ash Millman. <laughs> and I know she didn't take to the opening as much as we did, really? but she ended up loving the game overall. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah. I'll it, cancel the hits, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, so many elements to it that I, I just love that you can have those takeaways. You can say, yeah, I, I, I love the introduction, but maybe didn't like the, 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 the epilogue or, you know, variations of mm. 
the different experiences that are held within there. I just couldn't believe how um, ambitious it was overall. Also, like me and you talk quite a lot about um, there's like there's a certain thing about the restrictions that were around in the PS1 era for horror, whether that be tank controls, camera angles, um, certain designs, like certain faces, certain demonic faces, like some stuff just looks more scary when it's pixelated or when it's derezzed or whatever it is. And obviously I like that they steer into that with this. Like there is something about this barely rendered being coming after you that it's sometimes can be more scary and obviously the sound design in this thing is immaculate yeah. and it's just like yeah I love like as we're in 2024 we're getting to that era where it's like why not make a PS1 horror like it's it, just because we moved on from it on a technical standpoint doesn't mean you can't do a PS1 style yeah. horror an N64 style horror um, I like that as an overall um, just the, the reality of like what gamers uh, developers are going for I'm really interested and if anyone fits this criteria I'd love for you to message us on X actually no I won't see it on X message me on Instagram <laughs> um, if you do have an answer but I'm interested interested in if this works for a, a generation that didn't grow up with like mm. PS1 or older PC games because I think it would work for me if I didn't have that context but so much of it comes from almost nostalgic memories of being frightened of right. similar um you know monsters whether it's the zombies from Resident Evil 1 and mm. 2 which you know have that kind of pixelatedness to them that probably wouldn't be scary if you just saw them now but in my mind they're they're so ingrained as part of my formative foray into horror that this manages to tap back into yeah. that and make them scary again uh, so I, I am interested in if it only is scary if you have that experience in that context mm. or if it just works as a bloody good um thrill ride regardless <laughs> it's a weird line to walk i would shout out the uh, is it the atlanteans from the end of tomb raider those yes. weird like snake-headed things yeah. they were very annoying and um, i think we said this last week but i think for the rest of our uh top four i don't think either of us have game but i don't think we share a single game here but I guess we'll see. Maybe one, but certainly not the rest. I'll be think. amazed if you have anything that I've got in my top four. <laughs> uh, my number four is Metroid Prime Remastered. Oh, which was hell. A, just a beautiful little game, which like in years gone by wouldn't have qualified, and it didn't qualify for the overall uh, what culture top fifteen. Right. Uh, if I'm if I'm able to play the subjectivity card, Listen, I'm going to allow it. I'm going <laughs> to allow it. You know, I mean, you 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 fought me tooth and nail on Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy a few years ago, but I'm going to draw a line to that. Water under the bridge, I'd say. Bring on the remasters. <laughs> now we're finally even. Yeah. Uh, a few years later. Yeah. I mean, the thing is with Metroid Prime Remaster, obviously the original. Um, I think 2003. I forget the year it came out, but I never really played it back then. I had a friend who played it, and every time I'd go to his house, I'd see little bits of it, but I never had it myself, and uh, it was just a game that I I knew about the franchise. Like, I mean, I absolutely effing love Metroid, Like, but it's 2D Metroid. I've, I hadn't spent any time properly with the Prime series. Um, and yeah, going through it, I was like, one, it looks absolutely gorgeous. Like, it, it really looks better than any other Switch game. Like, yeah. all the little um, details that are in there, that some of them were in the original, but it's like uh, raindrops on Samus's uh, helmet, like some of the reflections on the cannon, um, just little things that, like, really immerse you in it. The sound design's phenomenal. Um, we talk about like Metroidvania level design and how hard it is to nail it in 3D. Um, obviously Prime is a big deal because they always got that right. Um, and just bringing that into the new age, like it, I, I don't... Um, have the one-to-one -one knowledge of the original, but this felt like a modern Metroid Prime. This just felt like a really super playable, um, just really fun to explore and really fun boss battles, really cool combat design, um, like a lock-on based combat model where you're dancing around everybody, taking loads of enemies out and everything. Um, and the power-ups that you get are really, really cool. Everyone knows what Metroid Prime is at this point, but it's just a perfect version of that. And I had an absolute blast going through it. Um, I will also shout out, which is hilarious, Linkin Park 
I got massively back into Linkin Park when I was playing this game. Oh, right. I, I was, I was do... trying to figure out how that was going to connect there. <laughs> I thought, did they do the soundtrack? You unlock Mike Shinoda. You've just got to get to the right area. But you know when you play a game, I don't know if you ever did this, where you get into an album or a series of albums yeah, when you're playing man. a game and they, they just lock in. And it's like, um, I had Metroid Prime on for the, the most part, but every now and then when I was like backtracking or whatever, I'd have Linkin Park on. And it just made me realize, I don't know how many other people out there have had this realization. Linkin Park were brilliant, to yeah. be honest. Like obviously the albums that blew up when we were kids were like Hybrid Theory, Meteor, a lot of people dropped off around minutes to midnight and everyone hated living things and everything that came after that. Um, but And A Thousand Suns. But um, I just played all of them when I was going back through it. I just wanted to shout that out. Linkin Park, brilliant. I love that, man. And I absolutely have albums that I associate with uh, certain games. Mm -hmm. The first one that comes to mind for me is Green Day's Dookie with Battlefield 3. Shout like, out. I used to listen to that, which I, I would never do now because I want to hear the footsteps of the enemy players. <laughs> but I would listen to that, like, more or less on repeat while yeah. I was just going through um, multiplayer match after multiplayer match. And I love it when you when you can synergize. I just, I can't mention Metroid Prime Remastered without thinking about Linkin Park. Nice. It, was just, it was just what was on there the whole time. Their Thousand Suns album is like a masterpiece. And it, it was like, when we were all kids, you know how when they started changing their sound and it was like, they started doing more electronic stuff and they started singing more clearly, uh, cleanly and they got away from the screamy stuff that was in hybrid theory and um, a lot of us when we were kids we were angsty teens and everything we didn't like it we wanted you to be angry again right. and they did that on the hunting ground album and it was fine but like all the stuff where they were experimenting with cleaner vocals and different song structures and whatever if you go back to that now brilliant like because it's like I remember the whole thing that Genova Chen said the dude from Journey who was like mature art will age with you yeah. and there's something you can get out of something later on in life not that Linkin Park is the most mature thing in the world, but I would totally recommend those middle albums that you probably swore off when you were younger. Thousand Sons is awesome. I've never listened to a Linkin Park album. Maybe I will what now. Do you mean, what? No, not even. Oh, you have to remember, I'm a little bit younger than you. A little so. bit. But Hybrid Theory was a that was a that was a thing. I heard the singles off it. Of course, yeah. I loved you know all every Linkin Park single. I loved back right. in the day. But yeah, for whatever reason, never got into the albums. Was more into Green Day and Blink One Eighty Two, <laughs> and then later on Fallout Boy. So yeah, Linkin oh, Park did hey. uh, the sort of what I. Would classes it's, it's it's not it's not necessarily you know hard but it's 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 harder rock than what I was listening to right, you okay, know, at the fair, time so I never actually listened to any albums uh, and everyone always talks about hybrid theory and I yeah. of course know the big hits off there but I've never listened to it all the way through hybrid theory is always their go to that was one that obviously blew them up so much but yeah your friend of mine Adam Nicholas we had a, a love in on how much we love Linkin Park and he'd also been going through the later albums and I was like there's something about the age that we're at where you get retrospective about nice, what, what back in the day with Linkin Park um, but <laughs> hey, anyway yeah Metro Primary Master my number four I'm gonna uh, just quickly add one thing to Metroid yes. Primary Master because I haven't played it mm. but you know how I'm always cry arsing about the Switch and its yes. lack of power that was a game when it made me reconsider and I'd only seen you know clips that you'd posted or mm. if you were playing it in the office and I thought man that thing looks absolutely spectacular so and do you think you know it's kind of going to set the blueprint for Metroid Prime 4 whenever that eventually releases because it almost seems like it's established a high bar even if it is just mm. a, a, a remaster or maybe more aptly a remake of the, an older game yeah you'd hope so I mean according to Jeff Grubb from a few years ago they'd already they'd always they'd always um intended to remaster the whole trilogy and apparently Metroid Prime 2 and 3 have already been have already been remade as well or whatever but not in as much as the first one this felt right. like a whole reskin like there's lots of side by sides it's a really impressive reskin 
Um, but yeah, you'd want to hope that this is like a new benchmark. I mean, yeah. I I now think Metroid Prime 4 has been pushed back so much that it's going to be a showcase of whatever the next Switch is. Um, so I wonder if it'll be even more impressive. But yeah, it's just, it's exactly what you think it is in terms of a really, it's exactly what you want from a solid remaster. You could argue it's a remake. Um, but it's just super playable. And like, uh, I love, like I said, I love the level design. I love playing a Samus. I just thoroughly enjoyed my time with it. Nice, man. Well, yeah. it's funny because you cannot say this next game was what everyone wanted that's on my list. Because number four for me is Starfield, Ooh. and it's 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 not hilarious because I I bloody love Starfield obviously, <laughs> but it was strange to come back to this job mm-hmm. right, um having taken my break of course a week after Starfield came out and we had that podcast uh, where we talked about it and how we were both really enjoying it. We're the only then, two fans of this well, entire this game. Is it. And then yeah. realizing when I came back how the tide had completely turned and mm-hmm. seeing it get all of these overwhelmingly negative responses. And now kind of took me by surprise because I thought, well, I bloody love this game. I thought mm-hmm. this was really good. What am I getting out of it that other people aren't? Mm-hmm. So I watched the uh, Nakey Jakey video um, on Bethesda's game designers, Outdated, I think the title is called. And I, I love Nakey Jakey yeah, stuff. Man. Like, that guy is is so funny. He's so good with his analysis. But it's I, I think it's interesting because he's done three or four of those. He did... Rockstar's game design is outdated. Naughty Naughty Dog's game design is outdated. And now um, Bethesda's game design is outdated. And it's not that I don't disagree with his um, analysis. It's just that, like, the stuff he's talking about kind of isn't important to me. And Mm. it kind of made me realize, okay, this is why a lot of people don't like the game. Um, But I like it for other reasons almost. You know, I can totally see his criticisms and many other people's criticisms about how empty space feels, how if you land on a planet, you know, you're not going to find much in the way of original um, content to kind of justify it. Mm. Walking across planets itself is a slog. Like, I agree with all of this stuff. The loading screens between everything gets old fast. But the joy that I got out of that game was separated from all of that. The joy that I got out of exploring was incredible for me because, yeah, while those planets were barren, the planets that I felt like I was pointed towards um, had so much content. Like, there was... I remember a moment where I just landed on this colony um, in the first galaxy, I think, that you um, arrive at, and it's kind of like this historical monument almost. It's like the rest of space has passed it by. Mm. And this was the first settlement that um, the people of Earth ever established. And it was just like this, not hidden, but it wasn't like signposted. Mm. And I spent hours and hours there, you know what I mean? And I just kept finding things like that. Where I would on land. Mars for like 40 hours. Yeah, I was on Mars <laughs> for ages, man. I wouldn't move on from Mars. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. And I, for whatever reason, managed to find, like all of this depth, um, and I was very lucky in that fact in a way because I spent a lot of hours initially not finding any depth at all, well, the thing uh, is which like, is totally valid, but yeah. when I did find the content, as it were, uh, it all clicked for me, man. It all worked. I can, I can only echo that. Like, I totally get the... The thing is, like, we said this back when we first started covering it. There, There is that argument of, like, okay, you have... I forget what their number was for the amount of planets they have in total. Like, 8,000 or something? It was, it was a lot. Um, I don't want the majority of them to be um, populated or filled with hashtag content or whatever because it gets away from the idea of a vastness of space. And it, I get that that's a weird thing to grapple with, and I totally get people bouncing off it, but it's why No Man... Like, No Man's Sky is, like, is a similar thing. It should feel like an unconquerable galaxy. It should feel vast and it should feel like you can get lost in it. And it should feel like you might touch down and not get something specifically curated. And it should feel, and it's, it is a weird thing because it's like, I like this uh, facet of the game design, but I told again, I get why people would be annoyed by it. But the fact that you could just get stranded on a planet and walk for 20 minutes, that to me still works uh, yeah. to the idea of being an explorer and the escapism side of that. And No Man's Sky always give you a bit more to do. I do think that Starfield's um, like uh, surveillance mechanics or whatever you call them, the archival stuff where you're trying to take photos of animals and things like that are a bit crap. Um, yeah. They just they don't even give you much of a ping to let you know you've banked stuff. Whereas No Man's Sky was always better with that. Um, but still, like yeah, like you said, like when you stumble, on, stumble upon something, it's awesome. A lot of the curated or authored content in the game is brilliant. Yeah. Um, and it's like some of the some of the best characters that Bethesda have ever written. It's just like, um, and I had a great time with that. And it's not that I spent my time doing all the Baron Planet stuff. I spent most of my time doing specific side missions and main missions. Um, but it just works. Like I get the people who wandered off the beaten path and didn't find anything. But for whatever reason, 
the way that game saved itself up to me, it, to- it completely worked. Like, I think that what is there is brilliant. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, there was more or less a moment where I decided to stop going to random planets, which right. you could argue you shouldn't have to make that decision after the UI 10 is hours terrible of fumbling well. around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, don't get me wrong. There's so many problems <laughs> with the game. Um, but, yeah, once I was on that kind of track and I kind of understood where I need to go to find the, mm. the good stuff, as it were, mm-hmm. it just kept serving up good stuff to the point where I was 80 hours in and I was still finding brand new settlements with all of these different characters to meet and stuff like that and I do like the variation on display I like that and I'm so sorry because I've not played it since September but I've forgotten the planet but the planet that's essentially like Fallout New Vegas it's the old oh, Westy yeah. place and yeah. I didn't get there for like 50 hours or something it took me a long time <laughs> before I reached that environment uh-huh. and then it was just a joy because I thought man this is so different from what I've experienced so far mm-hmm. all of these characters are so cool I like the setup of this world and yeah man all of that uh, just made for a really memorable experience I totally understand that if you're um, wanting a space exploration game first and foremost, I can totally see why it's disappointing. I think mm-hmm. that's absolutely valid. Mm-hmm. For me, though, I was going for like a Fallout 4-style Bethesda RPG and I kind of got that in spades. Yeah, um, like, I mean, I, I love building my ship. I actually really love, my favourite thing about the game was the way that it ended. I'm not going to do spoilers here, yeah. but I love the overall message. I love their whole dissection of what is an explorer hoping to achieve um, and the way that they sort of gamify that, like to keep it really, really vague. Because um, not anybody's finished this thing when you look at the, the trophy data and everything. Um, or the achievement day, but like, yeah, I still thought it had a, a really good through line punch, and I, I, at the end of it, really worked for me. I like the decisions that you make; like everything paid off. Like every character um, arc that I'd embarked on paid off. Like the romance option I picked paid off. Like I had a great time with Starfield. Like yeah. I, I totally get the people who don't like it, but um, I think you know, focusing on the fact that the animation that you do when you unlock a star power is the or the, the movement you do is the same every time, and then saying well, the whole game sucks because of that. Mm. I think that misses ninety nine percent of why. It's brilliant. Yeah, I think I'd agree. I think it is sort of easy to get bogged down in that stuff because mm. there is so much of like fluff and you yeah. know, jank, you know, <laughs> that we yeah. have kind of. Well, moved they just did a huge patch in beyond. December. So. Did they? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I would like to go back. Um, I think for me, the only reason it's not higher because it absolutely ticks a bunch of my boxes, especially aesthetically. I love mm. that kind of NASA punk. I think they described it as it that did. to me is a. Uh, and it's 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 a cringy term, but <laughs> visually in the way it's executed, I I like that kind of brand of sci-fi. It doesn't get higher on the list, and it certainly doesn't um, beat out another RPG I'm going to get to because I kind of was disappointed with the main story. I thought it was oh, right, for okay. me it was a little undercooked. I felt like I wasn't making many interesting decisions. I liked it from a story perspective and a beat by beat script perspective, but in terms of actual gameplay, I found mm. it underwhelming in its set pieces and its uh, big moments. Mm. I thought, like, as an RPG, I was totally underwhelmed. I thought every decision that I made in the game felt, like, a little bit flat. I've kind of had to accept that Bethesda's just not going to give me that deep RPG experience no. anymore. They're more focused on exploration and leveling up and um, interacting with characters, but not in a way where you can make, like... Fallout New Vegas style decisions yeah, or Disco true. Elysium style decisions or Baldur's Gate 3 decisions <laughs> um, and it was still underwhelming to see them move away from that when I thought they might double down on it but taken as what the game is and what it's not I still really like that and I'm looking forward to a Starfield 2 if the the water hasn't been um, poisoned <laughs> too much by people who again rightly so 
didn't click with it or yeah. didn't like it. That's a much wider thing is like, what the hell is Bethesda going to feel like under Xbox? Because there's the, obviously we know now that Todd Howard, like, you know, put a lot of time into Indiana Jones. And that's just been recently shown off as well. So I wonder what it's like when he gets back into um, the next game be Fallout 5 or whatever it is. Um, we're in a top three territory. My number three is Robocop Rogue City, my friend. No way. Oh my God. No oh way. Oh my God. Robocop Rogue City is was my game of the year for a bit. Holy like, hell. Oh, dude. Like, I, I love, I'm a sucker for execution of a vision like I'm a sucker for a team of creatives who clearly had fun making something who didn't have to bow to some weird corporate whim to put a bunch of monetization options in there like just make a game that is budgeted well it plays well it has like a really really fun writing in this case it's inspired by obviously the Robocop movies but the general feel of like 80s action movies and early 90s action movies give me an excuse to indulge in that stuff a really fun physics model it's just so solid and it's like it's not not only is extremely well written they've got um, the dude that played Robocop, whose name I'm blanking on now. Spurs. No, it's not Peter Weller. Is it Peter Weller? Peter Weller. Either way, they got, they got Mr. Robocop himself back to do the voice. You do little therapy sessions where you're answering um, questions and multiple, there's loads of multiple choice stuff in here. Um, dialogue options where you're deciding how much of your humanity do you want to lose to becoming Robocop. There's a bunch of, um, the game's kind of told in acts, so there's various different um, mini um, stories that you take part in. There's stuff to do with who you're going to elect to be the next mayor in the town and whether you want to be like endorse the guy as Robocop or speak truth to power and whatever. And those little things intersperse these sort of small open world segments that happen where you're going and doing smaller uh, crimes in the city, you're helping the average person, and that changes your street cred and how much people trust you. And like, there's all that stuff. But then in between that, you get these really cool, um, just first person shooter, you know, not necessarily on rails, but really meaty shooting segments where you can grab enemies and throw them across the, uh, the levels or throw them into each other. Everything's gory AF. You have the Robocop vision. So you're like, you know, nailing headshots and everything. It's just so good at exactly what they set out to be. Um, and it's just so well made. And also it's on Unreal 5, so it looks gorgeous. Nice. Like it's legit, absolutely stunning. Like, I mean, some of the stuff, some of the NPCs maybe don't live up to the environmental design or how good the Robocop model is, but I just can't deny how bang, just absolutely beat for beat perfect it is. Like it's so good. It's way better than has any right to be. It's way better than Terminator Resistance was. Right. Same developer. Yeah. It's such a step up and nowhere near enough people played it. And it's just like, I just loved it. It was such a throwback to a 360 era of game with modern technology and just they went above and beyond with the dialogue choices and everything else. That is so surprising because when the they released, you know, the initial gameplay trailers over the course of last year, I was excited for it when it was first announced. I mm. thought this could be good. Then I saw the gameplay trailers and I just kind of thought, this looks rubbish. This it didn't, it didn't look... demo well. No. no. Yeah, I thought like, this is not sold me on the game. Then the reviews came out while I was off mm. and everyone was saying, you know, you need to kind of play this. This is an underrated gem. I didn't realize it was going to be third of the year material, but everything you've said there, it sounds way bigger, way more robust than what I was expecting mm. or what I'd gleaned from the gameplay trailers. They massively I'd undersold seen, it. Yeah, I'd seen like, you know, some of the first person shooter elements. I'd seen the uh, the fact that you had to solve like these crimes and, you know, pick up clues and, and whatnot. But mm. that sounds like, that sounds meaty. That sounds like they've nailed a, like you said, a vision there. Yeah, and also like, it's really funny. Like they get the sort of like sardonic black humor of Robocop, like especially because it's set in between, I think it's between uh, one and two. Um, but you get all these little mini missions. Like, you know, you've got a bunch of hoodlums 
outside like some dude's shop and they're playing music too loud and you can talk them down or you can just punch right through the radio <laughs> and be like, I, I, I stopped the crime or whatever. Um, or you're throwing a guy in a jail cell and then Robocop's like sleep tight or whatever it is. And it's just like, they just kind of get the goofiness of the character. There's one thing you can do when you're back at the police HQ where you can stand at the front desk and just take um, like people's queries because they're reporting crimes. Amazing. And you can do your dialogue choices through them. There are some hilarious and macabre AF responses um, to what some people's crime scenarios are. Um, but yeah, I didn't expect it to be like just so fun and immersive. The music's brilliant as well. Um, there's like a whole in-game band um, that like play sometimes and their music is in the game. And it's just like, yeah, man, I uh, I absolutely loved it. Also, you can pick up motorbikes and just throw them at people. I do like to which do is, that. It's great. You can do that in Hulk Ultimate Destruction as yeah. well, which is really good. Nah, man, if I've got nothing else from this um, two-part podcast that we've done, mm. it's a solid recommendation oh, of, for Robocop, which yeah. now I am absolutely excited to play. Trust Can't me. wait for that. You and Patterson dove in and he absolutely loved it as well. Really? I think, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's there's a bit of a leaden feel to the combat because you're just walking around as Robocop. You're not jumping, you're not yeah. running. You are Robocop. Um, but because that, if you think about a standard first-person shooter controller setup, there are so many buttons dedicated to like running, dashing, sliding, whatever it is. If you do away with all of that and then make those unlockable abilities that you get, like a um, there's like a cloak that you can get and like an armor and stuff, Stuff like that. Um, it just, for whatever reason, it frees it all up where it's like, this is a very unique feeling first person shooter. Um, and maybe it takes a little bit to get used to your more restricted movement, yeah. but there's a power to it. And you, the footsteps when he moves, like it's just so immersive. Third person cutscenes, first person gameplay is a great mix for immersion. I can't wait. I Dude, actually can't. As soon as payday comes around and as soon as I'm finished with boulders, <laughs> that's absolutely getting bought and please, played. Please do. What was your number three? Speaking of, my number three is Boulders Gate 3. What and this is going to be one that I might look back, like I said at the start of the podcast, in a year's time and think maybe that should have been higher. So I need mm. to clarify that I'm not even finished the game yet. I'm barely in Act 3, so I haven't even had a bunch of the payoffs to like the character arcs and whatnot. And if this was like a list for the website, I wouldn't put it on because right. I haven't got to the end. But I've played 80 hours of it and you know whether it's, it's got quality even within those 80 hours I already know that even if it like <laughs> gave me another 40 hours of pure badness the worst game I've ever played in my entire life it would still be higher than everything else mm. I put on here because I've enjoyed this so much yeah Baldur's Gate like we, we were just talking about was on the back foot for me but as soon as I jumped in I thought Wow, this is going to be something special. In the opening hour, you're mm. talking to a to a brain that's been pulled out the skull of a man that is now <laughs> sentient. And I thought... It's got I, little legs. It's got little legs. I was like, I, I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> uh, but I'm down for it. And yeah. I hope you got more where that came from. Unfortunately, it really does have more where that came from. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of reminds me, I know you were, in, in many other people have kind of compared it to old Bioware games, which I can totally see and... Mm. Uh, I love that kind of strand of its DNA. But the game that reminds me most of, actually, is The Witcher 2. That was right. another game where I'd heard so much about a franchise, uh, but that was my jumping-in point. And, it's yeah, it's a little rough. It's not as polished as, like, a big AAA game, but it has such a sense of... Um, place it has such an interesting world mm. and it kind of just throws you in the deep end in a way that is initially a little overwhelming but then you kind of come to appreciate because there's so much richness to it mm -hmm. and even just kind of like the way you're walking around these they're not hub areas but like sort of isolated open mini open worlds almost yep. reminded me a lot of the witcher 2 the way you can make massive decisions and branch the story off kind of like how you did reminded mm -hmm. me of the witcher 2 mm -hmm. um as long along with the interface and stuff and it just kind of has that kind of uh what i would describe as like a hardcore 
RPG DNA to it that yeah. CD Projekt Red that got them famous to begin with and allowed them to make The Witcher 3 and then later on Cyberpunk. You know, the game just gets better the more I play. The characters are so interesting. They have such fascinating stories. It's so uh, cool to get to know them. Just spending time in the camp is almost as exciting as, mm. you know, walking around and exploring. Having finally got to Baldur's Gate itself is is such a great payoff. I love how distinct the different areas are that you visit. You know, like you were talking about there in Act 2 where it's like this dark and oh, yeah. foreboding place that you have to kind of figure out what the hell's going on and a lot of like the enemies that you meet in that area that you can talk to are, are kind of like bloodborne enemies yeah. or <laughs> did you, you mean know. that guy that's half man half spider I did I did he's a good yeah. lad half man half spider there's like a crazed surgeon in there there's um, a bunch of like weird occult people I just oh man I, that, that area was was so up my street and mm. yeah it just gets better the more I play it like um I do think that uh, some of the gameplay, it surprised me to how not janky it is, because I know it's mm. got so much praise for being um, responsive to your actions, but there, there were so many times early on where I didn't know if I was like just breaking the game. Right. Because the game wasn't saying like, oh, well done for completing it this way. It just kind of would tick a box. It just keeps going. Yeah, and it would keep going, <laughs> and I'd go back and talk to people, and they wouldn't really have much to say. They'd mm. have like a line, and I would think, Oh, have I done this right? You know what I mean? That's it was thing. difficult to get out with that headspace, and yeah. I still kind of got it now a little bit. Minor issues on a big experience where it's like talk to this person, confront them, mm. and then I do, and then like the game isn't recognizing it because I obviously have to come back later, and I'm kind of like, oh, I don't really know how to proceed without breaking something. But mm. the fact that it's this ambitious to begin with, and the fact that it does account for so much is is amazing in and of itself. That those minor quibbles. Um, have not really mattered over the course of eighty hours in the way that I thought they might. Well, the fact that the fact that they maintain that veil of how are we doing this is like that's the pure video game magic that the likes of uh, Skyrim used to give us, and old Bioware, Knights of the Old Republic, or whatever old school Bioware stuff, Neverwinter Nights, and everything. Um, this is the nearest to that feeling that I've got from a game in a long time, where I'm like, I actually can't even comprehend the matrix of video game decisions that are behind the scenes, the yeah. various checks and balances the game's doing to serve. Me this story, um, which and I mean, uh, me and you will talk about it, but like the way that my act three came together, I didn't think anything could be salvaged from the way that my game was, right? And then it found a way to do all these cool things where I was like, This is brilliant. I think sometimes, like you said, there are certain checks that you're you need to hit, like certain main quest checks or whatever it is, that then makes the game do a big overall check on who you talk to, whatever, and then you get new dialogue and things like that. But the fact that you're not thinking about that, the fact that the gamified aspects of it aren't that obvious, um, lets you get in that like immersive headspace and just just drink everything in. Yeah, no, Like you're not thinking great. about the game design Word. side of it. No, you're not. You're not. not. Much, and anyway. I think that's why um, I those few examples that I have stick out so much because I'm not thinking about it so much mm. that when I suddenly am, I'm But it reminds like, you it's not magic. It's like, it, oh right? God, okay. Yeah, and it only happens a few times, <laughs> yeah. but that's probably why I'm being more nitpicky on those elements than I would be in like a Bioware um, RPG well, or a bloody Bethesda RPG, you know? Totally. And also like, I mean, yeah, Starfield reminds you it's a game every time it has a loading screen. <laughs> yeah. It's just that it's very obvious. But yeah, I had a couple of times in Boulders where I had to just look something up because I had a specific thing where an item I had to pick up was on a bookshelf, but I had to trigger the uh, opening of the bookshelf in a different way for it to show up, like stupid stuff like that. Um, but overall, um, I said this in the main uh, What Culture Gaming ranking where I was like, I'm just, like I said it before, like I'm just glad that we got this. Yeah. Like some games, you're just glad to have them in your life. Um, and especially in the modern industry where it's just all over the place and so many things are on fire and 10,000 people lost their jobs last year. Yeah. The fact that Baldur still got over the finish line is kind of a miracle. I'm not the arbiter 
of like taste or anything like that. But what I would say is if you're one of like the five people out there like me who hadn't played this game because, you know, you thought it wasn't for you, mm. I definitely recommend giving it a go because Same. like I was saying, you know, it has all of the elements that don't necessarily appeal to me on a I must play this level. And similarly, I've played almost every hour of my 80 hour experience so far with my girlfriend who's just watching right. and like, you know, enjoying both the combat and um, the exploration and making decisions and stuff. And again, similar to, to, to me, like that, it's not her thing at all. Like mm. she doesn't even like watching like Mass Effect or Bethesda <laughs> games because she finds some of like the dialogue boring. She's not into fantasy. She's not into turn-based combat or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And she's been as gripped as I am just from watching it. So yeah, if, if, you, if you think you're not interested, honestly, if you don't want to jump in at full price, fair enough, but I'd give it a go at some point because yeah. it might turn you on to an entire genre like it's done for me. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I was going to do a stupid segue here and be like, well, maybe this would be a slippery slope that would get you into my number two. This is this is such a stupid subjectivity card. Go on. My number two is four games at once. I'm no! doing Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters, my friend. Otherwise, it would have just been most of my top ten. So my number two is Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster for one, four, five, and six. However, if you want me to pick one, yeah, I'll pick do. four. Four. Maybe five. You know what's hilarious, man, before you get into the specificities of this? <laughs> um, as someone who was loudly and proudly talking about how much the industry was played by remakes and remasters yep. and uh, safe ideas, it's hilarious to see you have at least two remasters on this list. Yeah, I mean, it's, they're, they're different conversations. I think the more that um, a studio leans on like full remakes like RE4 or whatever as their new thing, the amount of money that gets put into them. I know where you're going. Um, that grinds my gears in a way that just makes making legendary games available doesn't. Like, we've been waiting for a console version of Final Fantasy VI for the entirety of it, you know, since the PS1 days. Right. Um, and then especially getting, um, you know, touched-up versions of Final Fantasy One, Four, and Five. They've been on handheld for a while. Um, uh, Square Enix went back in and touched up a lot of stuff here, made sure the translations are correct for the scripts and everything, um, overhauled the music, put a bunch of things in here that let you speed up, um, you know, world travel, you can turn off um, attacks if you want, random encounters if you just want to get to the next place. Quality of life things, um, but they really help with revisiting classics from the 90s and the 80s. Um, yeah, I'm not going to talk about them too much. I just absolutely love my time with them. I love my time with old school Final Fantasy so much that I just kept going from one game to the next, and yeah. I love my time with all of them. Shout out specifically to 4 and 5. Yeah, well, tell me why 4 is the one that like sticks out out of all of those it's great just, experiences. 4's got such a great tone. Like 4 is the one that opens with you playing as a bad guy. Um, you play as a dude called Cecil who's like just been responsible for butchering this like little kingdom of people to retrieve one of the stones that they were keeping. Um, and it's very on the nose. Like you're on, you're, the game opens with you having committed the act, going back to the empire, um, your own kingdom, and all your dudes are like, I don't know if we should have done that. That was a bit strong. And it's like, no, it's what the king wants, and everything else. And the music's really like foreboding, and it's great. Um, and then it kind of just goes from there. It's all about Cecil's redemption over time, and his best friend Kane, who's like a different um, uh, dragoon warrior, who's like he's like his best friend. But it's like, can you trust him or not? And there's a lot of back and forward stuff like that. The storytelling's all over the place, but it's not that far from Tolkien, and it's not that far from just a grand adventure, um, which is one of the things that I love the most about Final Fantasy. I love a good party of characters, and the characters here are so much fun. Um, and this game's version of Sid, there's always a Sid in Final Fantasy. Yeah, I remember and, you said uh, this. Yeah. The Sid in 4 is hilarious. He's great. I love his, the ship. That, I love all the, everything he does, and the ship that you get and the um, that he helps uh, make for you is great. I just had such a great time with this story that's all over the place. I will shout out 5 as well, though. Final Fantasy 5, everyone talks about the job system that's in there, that they've never really recaptured this job system, which is the specific thing where you um, equip different abilities, you grind on them, and then you unlock them, and then you have them 
forever. And you can combine different types of them so that by the end of the game, you've got all of these incredible combos of different abilities, different class abilities, different magic abilities. So you just end up with this really great party that mm. is entirely yours. Um, from what I'm told, I'm reliably informed that Final Fantasy X-2 and one of the sequels to thirteen brings parts of that back. But that's a level of Final Fantasy I've not <laughs> gone to yet. Um, I'll get there. I'm, I'm replaying Final Fantasy X at the minute right now. I'm just about to fight Unaleska. But um, that whole um, Final Fantasy V, to me, lived up to the, the hype. Um, it was actually six that I was a little bit disappointed by, considering how much people talk about that game. Right. Still a gorgeous game, but I was more blown away by four and five. Um, and going back to Final Fantasy 1, where it all started, I know they've overhauled a lot of it, um, but the music's still gorgeous. I love that they let you pick um, any class from four different characters at the start, um, and you make your party up of like four different types of character. It's totally, it was like 1983 or 4 or something. It's yeah. an old-ass game. Um, but it is remastered. It is touched up and everything. I just had an absolute blast with it. They're so charming. And Best way just... to play those games? Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, I have all them on Switch. Like, uh, it was just, yeah, there were my train games. There were my sitting in bed games. Um, they were most, most of my summer was just playing Final Fantasy. Um, I already talked about how I had, I had a year of Final Fantasy last year. Yeah. Um, but it was because of all of this and just not getting sick of it at all. Um, if you're on the fence or you're curious about Final Fantasy 4 or 5, um, 5 takes a little bit longer to get going. But um, the actual mechanics of five are like series best mechanics. We always talk about entry points in the mm. franchises and how so many of them have been lost over the years because um, games just aren't as accessible mm -hmm. um, as they should be in terms of you know being able to buy an old game or appreciate um, a previous installment in a franchise mm. that has for whatever reason gone away. So to have these now readily available across all the consoles, it's cool, man. As yeah. someone who's who is you know got into Final Fantasy with the remake and has always wanted to at least see what's going on with those older games. Mm -hmm. I like that now I, I can and I don't just have to go and play the many versions of Final <laughs> Fantasy 7 or 9 or whatever it is. If you ever, you'll never do this, but if no. you ever play Final Fantasy 4 or 5, I would love to know what you thought of them. But that was my number two. My number two is a game we have talked about, so I won't, again, dwell on it too much. But okay. it's Alan Wake oh, 2. And pick. Good lord, what a game this is. This game was so good that it arrived in a period where I actually wasn't playing games, and then I decided, no, I need to play yeah. this thing because everyone was raving about it. You know, as you know, I think I even put it as my most anticipated game of last year, um, but even I wasn't expecting the absolute crazy amount of praise it received in, mm. the, in the reviews when they dropped, so I needed to see what they had done, and I love that it, it's. I love that it's a... Um, how would I describe it? It's a substantial sequel, and it's a meaningful sequel. Mm. And what I mean by that is it doesn't just kind of play the hits or it doesn't just play it safe. It does the exact opposite. Mm. It gives you consequences for the actions of the previous games. It, it evolves the story. It, it changes it. It puts our characters into new situations while introducing new ones that were really fascinating. I love the way it deepens the world. I love the confidence in the storytelling. Mm. My favorite parts of Control were the live action segments, so it's so cool to see how much of this is live action oh, yeah. in a way that is really well shot, really well acted, really well performed, and is creepy and is weird, but it manages to justify it. You know, it's funny looking back, it's something like Quantum Break, which obviously had um, live action cutscenes as well, part of Microsoft's TV initiative, where God, they were like, er, the future will be a combo a of time. live action and games. And it, it was all right, but it was kind of weird to see how far mm. they've come since then is incredible because uh, the live action stuff is just as good as the gameplay itself. I think I mentioned when you were talking about Alan Wake 2 that for me, Saga was just as interesting as Alan, and it got to 
to the point where I was actually more interested in her story mm. and I was prioritizing her um, levels more than I was Alan's. But yeah, I just think as a as a vision, it is incredible as something that is tailored to my own personal tastes. <laughs> it is exactly what I wanted, a nastier, more horror-focused version of this franchise. I love the way it cribs from Twin Peaks The Return, which I did briefly mention as well, but in terms of taking a protagonist you know and love and kind of making them a little bit darker, mm. making uh, the stakes that little bit higher, great. And the only thing that stops it from being number one is the combat, which I yeah. which got a little bit old and you know wasn't as satisfying as I expected from a Remedy game, unfortunately. Mm. It's just, it was only that element that literally stopped it from being number one because I wanted with all of my being Scott to put this as number one because in terms of originality, in terms of what it means for the industry as a whole, like I just want, I I love it as a game and I love it as where it's arrived within a year of releases that, you know, arguably have played it incredibly safe. I Yeah, man. And it's like, I love it as a statement. It was just like, Remedy have gone through a lot across the last few years. They finally got the Alan Wake IP back. They did some contract work for um, whatever that first-person shooter was, Crossfire. Crossfire X, yeah. And it was like, what the hell are you guys doing? Well, you're funding Alan Wake 2, and it, and it works for the greater good. Um, this was the thing, Alan Wake 2, the general feeling of authorship throughout it, where I was like, Stan Blake's better than Hideo Kojima. Sam, yeah. Lake, Sam Lake deserves the Hideo Kojima reputation, like, by far. Like, this is a dude who is actually thinking things through and is actually nailing various thematics and is dedicating the every single thing. Like, I love the fact that all the audio in it, all the songs that were written for it and um, all the TV adverts that were made for it, they're, like, custom for the game. Yeah. They flesh out, like, some character motivations and realities of what was going on in the background and the, um, you know, everything that was happening in Bright Falls with every, all the NPCs that are in there. That's a level of curation and authorship that only Remedy can do, at least right now, um, and like you said, like in a year that was mostly quite safe, like we got lots of great games, um, but I loved how much they pushed the boat out. I'm so curious about the sales because it didn't have a physical release. Um, and when it launched, it didn't, I forget, uh, Mark Piscatella, I forget the name of the site that he writes for, tweeted that it wasn't even in the top 60. No. And it's like, I hope that it picks up over time. Obviously, it got a big showcase at the Game Awards. Um, that musical number, as someone who's been with Remedy since the beginning, um, involving Poets of the Fall of the Band, who I have a tattoo of um, because of how much I fell in love with their music and Max Payne 2. That was a thing when I was playing that last year where I was like, this is actually surreal yeah. that they've managed to do this and go this long. Um, and also shout out to James McCaffrey. Dude like passed away um, last month or the month before, but a legendary voice actor giving his last performance in Alan Wake 2. Like every aspect of the remediness of this was next level. His performance in this I think is so low key moving mm. or full of pathos. Like yeah. he's playing an intentionally exaggerated detective in a pulpy story, not too dissimilar to Max Payne, but uh, yeah, without spoilers, the way that character goes and the things that he's involved in in a sort of meta way, just like, yeah, like the, the performance that backs it up allows it to transcend what could have been very one-note or one-dimensional. Like mm -hmm. you said, the remediness of this game is is etched to another level. And with the sales in mind, I'm just scared we'll never get anything like this um, again. It does, Maybe. again, remind me of Twin Peaks The Return, not just in terms of content, but in terms of how it was made. That was similarly a complete miracle. You know, David Lynch went in, said, I want to make Twin Peaks Season 3. Um, Showtime said, we don't have the money for what you want. It looked like it was going to fall apart. Uh -huh. He went back in, somehow got more episodes um, in negotiations, made it. It was this <laughs> esoteric niche thing that did not pull big numbers, but it was so cool that you had this 
director who had a vision and managed to get the resources to see it out in the mm. same way that Sam Lake and the rest of Remedy did with Alan Wake too, because you can you can you can slag it off, you can say the combat isn't as good as it should be, but you can't say that it didn't it isn't exactly what it wanted to be. No, and I think like obviously right now where Remedy are, they have the Northlight engine. Like they spent a lot, they spent the last few years building their own in-engine uh, game engine, and they have a multiplayer game coming up. Like they've talked about, they have the Control Two. We know they're doing that, um, which will be a follow-on from where they are at the minute. And so like, they seem pretty confident, um, you know, with uh, the next few years. I don't know what you think about this, but mm. um, you know how it blends obviously live action and gameplay. There were certain times where you know I was controlling Alan around the streets of New York, and the way it was lit and just this sort of silhouette of him mm. and the way his hair was was rendered it obviously didn't trick me to think it was live action but it felt close oh yeah you know what i mean yeah, like yeah, they, yeah. they they managed to make it work in a way where i was sometimes i would just stop and look at the screen and think that looks like a frame from a film totally. and not that games have to be movies but i'm talking just in terms of pure rendering power mm -hmm. in the way that they have managed to nail the art direction in a way that makes it genuinely look lifelike despite some of the crazy things that are happening in the game yeah there's some bits where you go to um uh, the point of view hotel i think it's called there's a scene with alan and a guy called thomas zane there's a lot of uh, into cutting, cutting back and forward where you're showing Matthew Perez or Ilka Vili's face and um, that stuff when you're going back and forward where it's like that's the real him then it's the game him then it's another character and then it's back and um, that stuff where I, that's the most where I was like I actually can't tell which one's which right yeah. now um, but yeah just so much confidence I think is one of the key words um, my number one speaking of confidence is Final Fantasy 16 my Whoa. friend a game what? that I just I didn't enjoy some, I, I, went, I uh, waxed on about Robocop before but Final Fantasy is the other thing that I just enjoyed every single second of I, I got the platinum. I just got every single drop out of this thing that I could. I devoured the DLC. Um, absolutely loved it. And it's like me and you did that spoiler podcast on it. Yeah. Where like I like obviously hold up the thematics is one of the biggest reasons I absolutely loved it. I'm all for uh, anime storytelling tropes where I'm literally punching the face of division or whatever <laughs> it is. If there's a, a being that embodies the idea of uh, you know a lack of confidence or whatever it is, and I can punch that thing in the face, I will for the betterment of humanity. And I love the way that Final Fantasy 16 goes overall. Um, it's just I absolutely love the combat system the bosses are the best bosses of the year um, love uh, Ben Starr's performance as Clive shout out to Ben Starr <laughs> your and, friend uh, Ben Starr my friend Ben Starr absolutely lovely uh, meeting the man and uh, yeah the whole presentation the whole package was uh, was absolutely spot on I get that some people didn't like it and it is a huge departure from what people associate with Final Fantasy which couldn't even be more obvious when you go back to the Pixel remasters where they came from and how far away that is from Final Fantasy 16 but to me it didn't really matter the thematics are in line like the environmentalist messaging that's there so many callbacks to Final Fantasy 4 mm. which I realised retrospectively going through 4 afterwards um, just everything from the Dragoons to the overall setting to the tone like there's a lot of it that is Final Fantasy 4 um, but yeah I absolutely loved 16 that would be my game of the year you know what man like similar to Alan Wake 2 that is another game that you can have criticisms with it like I certainly do <laughs> but hence why it's not in the top 10 but you can't say that it doesn't execute a vision like it is mm. singular in what it wants to achieve and the story it wants to tell and the uh, direction it wants to take the franchise and I can only applaud that like mm. like you said there were so many um, um, elements like the boss fights that I just thought were you know game of the year material I thought it nailed so much the the world that it bring uh, brings to the foray of the characters and the way they are voice acted not only Ben Starr but Ralph Innocent I thought yeah. he's is someone who doesn't even have any connection with Sid the character he made me care about oh, Sid one of the best in Sids. this um, and yeah it was it was a joy to explore the world um, and I would love to spend more time in it if they did a 
well, I know they're obviously doing DLCs, but if they did Final Fantasy 16 2 or anything <laughs> like that, I would. It, it's a world that I would like to explore more. Give me a Gav spin-off. What is Ooh. your number one? My number one, it's a very Scott and Josh uh, number one each, I think. <laughs> Mine is... Resident Evil 4. Yeah. It could never have been anything else. And it's funny, man, because Resident Evil 4 for me is, has stood up to heavy scrutiny by myself over the year. It was number one when we did the mid-year check-in. Mm-hmm. And since then, it's been knocked off this top spot about four times. <laughs> Starfield knocked it off. Baldur's Gate knocked it off. Alan Wake 2 knocked it off. But ultimately, I just came back to this game. And part How many of me- times did you play through it? Seven. Yeah. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> Part of me didn't want to put it at top because it is a remake, but man, if Jedi Fall Jedi Survivor, sorry, is how you do a sequel, this is how you do a remake. You sure. know, it works for both returning players and new players. The way it kind of immediately plays with your what you expect Resident Evil 4 to be, I just found a, a breath of fresh air when you go up the bell tower in the village and mm. that's a spot where you could cheese the opening section in the original game, and now you just crash through it and you're brought. <laughs> back down to earth amazing I think from that village fight I knew I was into something special because I said in in the podcast we did way back when but that is a fight I've done so many times before Mm. I've played the original version of that a hundred times over the years showing it to friends replaying it myself and the fact that they managed to make that not only feel fresh Mm. but as intense as the first time I played it back in 2008, when I eventually got around to Resident Evil 4, is incredible. I love Mm. the changes they've made to the story. I love the art direction. I think as a third-person shooter, it's different to the original, but it's still as impactful. Like, it's not as snappy as the original was, um, and you have more freedom of movement, but it still manages to feel like a survival horror experience, Mm -hmm. probably even more so than the original did. Oh, yeah. I love it, and the reason it's number one and the reason I keep coming back to it is that it is literally the game that keeps on giving. Like, I thought the first run through on hardcore difficulty mode, 20 hours I put into it, I thought that was a five-star experience, but then I went back for more to get the Platinum. Then Separate Ways came out, which just made it even better. And then the VR version (laughs) of it came out for free, which made it even better. Literally living in Resident Evil 4. Literally was, man. It was like they just kept... Like they were, they were bribing me to make it number one because they just kept giving me this great content that bolstered an already five-star game. Mm -hmm. Don't have enough good things to say about it, man. To me, I've said this before as well, but Resident Evil 2, I understand why people think that is a better remake. To me, this blows that out of the water just in terms Mm. of um, the changes they've made and how they've approached it. And it makes me excited to see what this team does next, whether it's Mm. an original game or whether it's another remake. I just just can't wait, man, because Resident Evil's in such a good spot. That's my overall thing is that I love what it means for Capcom. I love the overall uh, kind of project they've had internally of like, let's get Resident Evil back on track. We experimented with a lot of action stuff across the 2000s, whether it be RE4 being uh, influenced by like Metal Gear and then RE5 and 6 being Gears of War style things. And then I kind of left them in that weird no man's land where they didn't really know where to go anymore. And then RE7 kind of brought the scares back, but at the end it was actiony again. And I just liked seeing them go like, okay, let's have this one unified new timeline where we actually have enough information across multiple remakes to like unify all the different plot points and um, you know someone like Ada Wong actually has a more consistent through line from RE2 to 4 um, that's the stuff that I'm most interested in is like where do they go from here because they're back up to that weird point in time again yeah. where it's like is Resident Evil an action franchise a horror franchise or its own feel I hope they remake 5 and 6 Me too. I hope they have like the cojones to do that stuff properly um, and, and try and bring out the horror elements and make it Resident Evil again 
Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed my time with it, but I didn't fall in love with it anywhere near as much as you did. I think I'm too much of a stickler for the original. I might have said that about the original Final Fantasies if I played them in the 90s. Yeah. Um, Final Fantasy 6, 5, 4, whatever. Um, but because I was there when RE4 dropped and I remember that feeling and I love it. I still love st- like stopping on, on the spot and having to defend your corner. I still love that Me stuff. Me you know, yeah. It's definitely what we said before about like certain limitations of hardware or design. Um whether it was intentional or not, working in the favor of the overall design. Um, I still love the feel of the original RE4 more. I don't necessarily like the the leaden kind of slower feel of Leon in the new one, but it's not to knock it overall. Like, it's such a robust package overall. Why I would describe this as the perfect remake is that I don't think it's, at least I hope not, Capcom, please don't do this. <laughs> I don't think it's intention... I'm not saying that you're saying this, by mm. the way, but its intention isn't to replace the original. No, you know it's not. I mean? That's true. What I love about it is that I can play both and get different experiences, but still two five-star mm. experiences. And I, I hope that in 10 years' time, when I log on to the storefront of whatever console I'm playing at the time, <laughs> um, and I search Resident Evil 4, both still exist side mm. by side, because I think it would be a travesty for this to replace the original, despite how good I think it is. And yeah, it's so unique and informed by that original that playing both side by side only elevates each other, I think. Yeah, no, that's perfectly put. Um, Yeah, when you go through the remake, it is very clear that they're not trying to replace, um, which is a a really good distinction. Um, Yeah, let's count them all down. I'm going to go 10 to 1. Like a Dragon Guy Den, the man who erased his name was at my number 10. Number 9, Gravity Circuit. Number 8, Theatrhythm Final Bar Line. Number 7, Alan Wake 2. Number 6, Baldur's Gate 3. Number 5, Street Fighter 6. Number 4, Metroid Prime Remastered. Number 3, Robocop Rogue City. Number 2, four different Final Fantasies, my friend. (laughs) Final Fantasy 1, Four, five, and six, and number one is Final Fantasy 16. What a list, and you know what? More crossover than I expected. Yeah. My top ten is number ten, Liza P. Number nine, Amnesia the Bunker. Number eight, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Number seven, Marvel Spider-Man 2. Number six, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Number five, Stay Out the House. Number four, Starfield. Number three, Baldur's Gate 3. Number two, Alan Wake 2. Just realize that's got, like, they've synced up really nicely. Yeah. Didn't mean to do that. <laughs> uh, number one, Resident Evil 4. That was a beautiful, beautiful year. That was the year that was. I think that's the longest we've gone on a subjective ranking so far. I think so. Which can be our new bar to hit. Um, for now, this has been the windup. Didn't do an intro when we started this. I'm Scott Taylor. That's Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Taylor. <laughs> Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you very soon. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business. 
removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.